I think reading was like mostly the main activity they did because they got bored or something. <laughs> I don't think they had really a lot of technology. They probably only had like one or two ideas for inventions. I don't think back then they had like the Safari app. You use dictionaries and regular calculators. They're on their phones a lot and they barely talk to their family, so they're not used to like talking to new people. Next gen, they're the first generation that have lived with the internet every day of their lives. They have access to all this knowledge instantaneously. They're smart on things that I was never smart on. I think I know math better than my mom does. I have to tell her how to calculate it. And in reading, I have to tell her sometimes what words mean. <laughs> uh, they communicate in bits and bytes. I've seen relationships that have turned sideways because they were thinking one thing, but they were communicating something else. If you looked at it just at the surface, you would say, oh, well, they're always in their phones or Snapchat or something like that. But you can still very much have a connection with them. I think relationships are really meaningful for them, but they don't know how deep they could go or how to get there. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to miss that little girl uh, when it comes to this series. She just had some amazing comments. Her name's Morgan. She actually attends our, our Mountain Valley campus. And so uh, we're going to wrap up here in probably about a half an hour with, in a, with a really fun video. And uh, it will cap off with the uh, five generational representatives that we've been journeying with over the last six weeks. So it's been pretty awesome to have them with us. And, you know, if you're just joining us today because maybe you're uh, in town for the Thanksgiving holiday, we've been in a series here at our church looking at the five major generations that exist in culture today and that wonderfully exist in our church. So we've taken a look at the greatest generation, the Depression World War II generation. We've taken a look at the baby boomers. Uh, we've taken a look at Generation X. We've taken a look at the Millennials, and this week we're going to take a look at the next generation. And uh, each week we've done something really fun in keeping with this series to show honor and blessing across generational lines. We've had everybody stand within that particular generation that we're looking at today. And so as our, as our campuses and venues join us right now, we've asked our junior and senior high students to attend worship today here instead of their own worship time. And many of them are probably over in the venue, but both here and over in the venues and at our campuses, I'd like anybody ages 0 to 16 to stand right now. Would you stand, please? 0 to 16, the next generation, and let us show honor to you guys. Amen. Wow, we got even one leaving right now. I don't know, I just, no, I'm teasing. All right, thank you guys for standing. That was really awesome. We, uh, we, we have a special message for you today, and in keeping with your generation, it's shorter than most. So I won't speak for 45 minutes. I'm gonna speak for about 30, and some of you older ones are going, yes, right now. So let's pray, and we're gonna dive right in. Father, we do thank you for the church today. We've uh, really experienced that through baptism, and through worship, through being with each other. Uh, what a great, Lord, cap off to a, a Thanksgiving celebration that we've had in our nation over the last few days. And God, as we've been taking a look at something that you care deeply about, this idea of generations and each generation learning 
uh, to walk with you and some key things about you and to stand tall in this world that is not our home. I pray, God, that as we seek now to encourage and bless the generation, Lord, that is still forming among us what we're going to call this next generation, God, I pray that your spirit would give us wisdom. May you speak to us through your word. Lord, may they feel encouraged by their church and most importantly by you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and we all say together, amen. amen. So as I've been doing a lot of study over the last few months on the various generations, one of the things I realized is that demographers and culture watchers never tire, and they are working hard as we speak right now to get their heads and hearts around this next generation. And they haven't even named them yet. I, it's me that's calling them the next generation. There's been a bunch of names bantered about. USA Today and Forbes magazine call them Generation Z. I don't even know why, because I don't know what's going to come after Z for the generation after that. And then uh, the White House calls them the Homeland Generation. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services calls them post-millennials. I kind of like some of the other names I read. One of them calls them the I generation, small I, capital G. Uh, one article calls them the plurals because they're the most pluralistic generation out of anyone existing today. Only 55% of them are white. The rest of them are very multicultural, and that's where our culture, as I mentioned last week, is going in a beautiful, heaven-oriented way. Uh, who knows what label is going to stick or what name will stick. They're still being formed as a generation, and names don't usually be given to a generation until we can see how they think and act. Uh, but as I've been reading the research, there are some things that we already are discovering about our youth, our 0 to 16-year-olds, about how they think and act now that, quite frankly, uh, both encourage as well as concern me. Obviously, the number one thing we think of when we think of the next generation is how high on technology they are, right? I mean, these kids have grown up with smartphones, tablets, PCs. They utilize everything from Snapchat to Facebook. And it's so drastically different from the world that you and I grew up in. I was ruminating this week about when I was their age, and I thought, you know, when I was their age, I did have a TV. I'm not that old, but our, our TV, the one TV in the house sat in one room, and we got three channels. There wasn't cable television yet, and they, there was a video game, and I was lucky enough to have one. It was called Pong. Some of you might remember it. I mean, it was, just a, it was just a paddle on this side, a paddle on this side on the screen, and then the white ball that you had to keep between the paddles. And that was our entertainment when I was a child, at least from a technological end of things. These kids have it very different. They, they use technology as part of the fabric of their very lives, the way they relate, the way they act, the way they interrelate with the culture around them. But we also know that this next generation is feeling some significant insecurity, not just from being young, mind you, but from a brutal recent recession that rocked a lot of families. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there's even a brutal political culture right now in our nation. And the kids feel this. They, they feel that from you and I, and they're asked to grow up more quickly than some of us were on the farm. Uh, studies done so far also reveal some very encouraging things about our, our kids, this next generation. A 2014 study revealed that they are compassionate, loyal, and very thoughtful at, at a young age. 
And believe it or not, this one deeply encouraged me. They are more conservative and more risk adverse than their older millennial brothers and sisters. They have 40% less teenage pregnancy rates, 38% less substance abuse problems, and a projected 28% drop in failure to finish high school on time, all compared to millennials at the same age. And though this might really surprise some of you, the research also shows that these kids like church much better than any of us did at their age. About eight, yeah, you can clap at that, I guess. That's cool. <laughs> I mean, this one blew me away. About 18% of millennials say they attend church. That didn't surprise me. Uh, but 41% of the current next generation attend church on a regular basis. I mean, that's unheard of, even at that age. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, they go to church because their parents make them. I'd believe that if I didn't see how most of you parent. I mean, the reality is, is that if a kid doesn't want to go to church today, they usually end up not going to church. I mean, when I was young, my dad said go to church. There was no argument. Today, kids can get out of just about anything they want to. And so I think a lot of these kids are at church because they want to be at church. At least that's what I observe here at our church. No, the indicators are encouraging. The initial blunders of the boomers and the millennials are not seemingly being repeated, at least as much, by this next generation. And though the data is still new and forming, the initial indicators, I got to tell you, are really encouraging. Uh, so what do we say then to a generation like this? Have you ever thought about that? And more importantly, what do you think God says to this next generation? That's really what we're after in this series. But what biblical advice should we hand off to them? I want to wrap up this series by briefly sharing four things, briefly, that God's Word says to really any burgeoning generation, but because this is the burgeoning generation in our day and age, that we're going to apply these directly to the next generation as they're just a few years away from diving into the deep end of life's Olympic-sized pool. And I'm going to use four props to illustrate the four principles, so maybe they will stick with all of us if you can get four images in mind. And the first prop is really simple. It's this prop here. I'm holding up what? My Bible. Because the first thing that God would say to any generation coming of age is this. Before anything else, above anything else, make sure that you walk with God. He would say, make sure that you walk with me. And the reason that I use the Bible as a prop here, this is really uh, important, is so that we all realize that in order to walk with God, you need to know how he thinks, how he feels, how he acts. And the primary way you do that is by reading about him and what we call salvation history, the things that he has done in history that he still does in our lives today. If you ever underestimate the importance of this, look at 3 John verse 4. Uh, obviously, John, the Apostle John, is writing here, and he's writing to his young people in his generation. And look at what he says. This is one of the most endearing passages in all the New Testament. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Whoa. If you can latch on to three words, you can get this passage. Joy, children, truth. That's really what this is all about here. And when he says children here, he doesn't mean necessarily his biological children, though he might mean that. He means his children in the faith, the younger generation before him. And John's point is clear. Don't miss this, gang. Nothing can bring greater joy 
Not material possessions, not a beefed up retirement, not satisfying hobbies, not a nice vacation, not even a long and healthy life. Nothing, he says, can bring more joy to the human soul than to see our kids walking with the Lord. That would have been a great spot for an amen. To see our kids walking with the Lord. I mean, I'm telling you, it's true. Some of you need to get with the program on this one. I'm telling you, some of you take way too much joy in things that God says are going to let you down and that you shouldn't take joy in. He's saying take joy in the spiritual things happening around you like our kids walking with the Lord. And again, I like how John says it. Now I'm going to speak directly to the next generation here. He says, walk in the truth, truth. He could have said walk with God or walk with the Lord or walk with Jesus and all that is implicit in that. But I like how he says it, walk in the truth because as I said to you earlier, in order to walk with God, you need to know some things about him. In order to walk with God, you need to know how he thinks, how he feels, how he acts in response to us as his children. And listen, gang, this can only come through a biblically informed understanding of God. If you do not allow this book to guide you in your walk with God, I'm telling you, you will get messed up very quickly in your understanding of him. And so walking with God, the prop is the Bible. And one last thought before we move on, and I need the next generation to hear this because this will be incredibly freeing to you, and some of you older people won't like this, so go ahead and email me on this one. I'm ready for you. And that is that this doesn't mean, young people, that your walk with God is going to look exactly like your parents or your grandparents' walk with God. I, I mean, I'm telling you, one of, the, one of the most incredibly freeing things about this piece of advice to walk with God is that each generation, the Bible reveals this, each generation discovers what this means for them in their current culture, in their understanding, again, guided by right understanding of the Word of God, they understand for them what it means to walk with God as they live, work, relate, all within the biblical framework that God provides. Some of you are saying, what do you mean by that? As I've told you guys uh, all year long, because I've been a Christian this year, 35 years, when I first got saved back in the early 1980s, I, I didn't know a lot about Christianity or God or Jesus or the Bible, but I've always been a student of culture and people, and I realized pretty quickly, intuitively, that my new walk with Jesus was going to look rather significantly different than the walk with Jesus of all these old people in the churches that I was going to at that time. I mean, I realized pretty quickly right away that the worship environment and the music that I was going to be turned on to as I worshiped God was going to be vastly different than the people that came before me. I mean, when I first got saved, that 98% of churches were using what we call enlightenment-based music, meaning about 300 years old. They're called hymns. And they were, they were singing those songs using an instrument that I'd never heard outside of a baseball stadium. It's called an organ. And so I, I just, I mean, I, I'd never heard the organ before. And I can remember quickly thinking, man, this is like Dudsville. I mean, I, I mean, I can't, it's hard to worship to this stuff. I mean, I just got saved, but I'm coming out of Aerosmith and, and the Rolling Stones. And, and I didn't like the words anymore to that stuff, but, but the music was my kind of music. And that birthed a whole new generation, my generation, that started to allow us to worship to a music that we understand. You see, our walk with God that looked a bit different 
than in the worship end than maybe how those who came before us did. And then I started to realize that many of the people who came before me, and again, I want to walk gently here, but they were rather legalistic in their application of Christianity. When I first got saved, I mean, I, they, they all but put a list in front of me that said, don't do these things. And it was like a really long list. And, and then it was a list of these things you can do. And it was a much shorter list. And again, I thought, you know, where's, I don't know where the joy is in any of this stuff, but there are all these, these rules. And then as I started to, because again, my walk with God has been informed by the word of God. As I started to read this book and look into this, I'm like going, the rules they have aren't necessarily found in this book. I mean, they're culturally entrenched rules. They've been in this Baptist church for about 85 years or what have you, but they're, but they're not in, in this book. And I started to realize that my walk with God was going to look on a lifestyle level a little bit different than their walk with God, and that's okay. And then I started to discover doctrine, what we call the truths of God's word. And again, I realized that I had been, been saved. I love the environment I got saved in, but it was a very narrow environment theologically. I mean, there were things that they didn't believe that the Bible clearly said, at least as I was reading it. And I realized within a couple of years that even some of the doctrines that I believe, not major doctrines, but definitely important doctrines, were going to be different than my parents and grandparents. Are you starting to get the idea? Next generation, here's the key for you. Long for a relationship with Almighty God. And then carve out your walk with God, allowing the Bible and your understanding of it, because the Holy Spirit will guide you to carve out and to form a walk with him. If you do that, even though your parents might give you guff, even though your grandparents might not always get it, man, if you're in love with him and you're allowing his word to guide you, you're going to be okay in this crazy world of ours. And then notice the second thing that God's word says to any burgeoning generation. And I'm going to use this as a prop here. This is a, a picture that hangs on my wall in my home office. It was taken three years ago at Thanksgiving time in Michigan where I met my entire, my side of the family for Thanksgiving. So we got my mom and dad and then my sister and her husband and then my brother and Kim and I and, and all the nieces and nephews and my kids and and the point is simply this, that uh, as you move on next generation, more than probably any other generation, and you'll see why in a minute, man, do you need to prioritize God's view and God's understanding of this idea of the family. You know, most people don't realize this, but this idea of prioritizing the family is so important that it actually made God's top 10 list in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, we have the listing of the 10 commandments. And when it gets to number five, many of you are familiar with this, the commandment goes like this. It says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now, I got to tell you something, one of the biggest problems that I have with this verse, and it's really not with this verse, it's with many of you, is that we have been way too shallow in the way we've understood this commandment. Most people read that commandment and they simply think, well, I just better be nice to mom and dad. I better listen to them now and then and, you know, throw a little honor their way and, and I'll be obeying this commandment. Well, that is true. But that's not thinking deep enough about what God is really getting at in this fifth commandment. Simply notice that this commandment here assumes a father who is male. It assumes a mother 
who is female, and it assumes kids, because the kids need to honor their father and mother, just pause right there. This commandment assumes a family structure. It assumes a male. It assumes a female. It assumes kids. It assumes God's idea of the family, and, and in great part, that is what we are called to honor here. Now, that word honor means to esteem something highly. It means to set something apart in your thinking that is seen as high and holy. That's what we do when we honor something or someone. And here, it is telling us to not just honor mom and dad, though it is saying that. It's saying honor the whole entity of the family as something invented by God, as something given by God, as something to be honored in all of our life and actions. And so my encouragement and challenge to the next generation is to prioritize this biblical reality and the importance of the family. And I don't need to go into detail on why this is important today. Simply suffice it to say, and I think we all know this, the family is under great attack in our culture today. It truly is. I mean, it has accelerated at a pace that I never thought would happen in my lifetime. If you had told me 10 or even 15 years ago that some of the things that we're dealing with in our culture's understanding of family would be in vogue today, I would have said, you're crazy. This is America. We're traditional. We got the Constitution. We got the Bill of Rights. We have this Judeo-Christian heritage. There's no way culture's going to go that off the deep end when it comes to their understanding of something as basic as the family, but our culture has. And so more so than any other generation in modern times, the next generation, hear me guys, you guys are going to have to be sharp, biblical, compassionate, and yet conviction-oriented when it comes to believing and promoting this cause of honoring the family as God designed it. That next generation, you need to know you have our blessing in this. You have our help in this. But it is dependent upon you, even at a young age, to begin to cement in your hearts and your minds what you envision a family being. And I sure hope, in keeping with point number one, that you allow the Bible and God to guide you in your vision of the family. So walk with God, prioritize the family, and then a third key thing uh, for the next generation, and, and I can't believe I used this word because I got in trouble with it last night, but it's already in print, uh, is to exegete your culture. Uh, exegete your culture. I, I use this word because I'm a theologian. Somebody Facebooked my wife last night. I don't have Facebook, thankfully. And somebody uh, Facebooked my wife last night and said, what does exegete mean? And I thought, okay, I shouldn't have used a $10 word. Uh, the word exegete, any of you ever heard the Exodus event? Like in the Old Testament, Exodus, they were coming out of Egypt and into the promised land. So the word exegete simply means that you draw out of something its meaning or understanding. And so when I exegete the scriptures, I'm drawing out of the scriptures a right understanding. When you exegete your culture, you're simply looking at your culture and you're trying to understand it. You're trying to, to exegete it, to draw out a right understanding of it. Now watch this, so that you may best reach them and minister to them. Because if Christians simply exist in a holy huddle, if we simply build our buildings and never understand what's happening out there and never be in the world but not of it, as Jesus prayed in John 17, then we will never be used by God as he wants us to. 
And though it's dangerous and though it's scary, the reality is, is that we are called to be men and women who are still in this world, just out of this world, and to exegete the culture around us. And it's really important for any generation. And my word to the next generation today is to free you up to say, do it. And it's okay to do it. Just stay close to God as you do it. You know, I, I, I thought of a prop to, to use for this. And again, it's a prop for my day and age. Anybody know what this is? Say it if you know what this is. Little girl, what is this? It's a record, right? I, I, I mean, we don't use these much. So the, the millennials are kind of retro, so they all love to buy records and play them. I think that's kind of goofy. I'd never do that, but they, they do. And, 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 and this is a, a record. It's, it's about uh, 12 inches long. It rotates at about 33 and one-third RPMs, and, and you used to play music on it. And my reason for using this as a prop is because, at least on a music level, this is my generation. Again, when I became a Christian, when I was growing up, we, we didn't have anything but records. Cassette tapes were just coming uh, into, into being, but mainly we had records. And the point is, is that I understand as best I can my generation. Uh, my wife said to me when I preached on the baby boomers, she said, man, you were really hard on them. And I said, yeah, it's my generation. And I get my generation. I understand my generation. I've spent my entire adult life trying to interact with my generation. Now listen, gang, here's why. Because I want them to know Jesus. Amen? I want them to get right with God. I want them to find, as C.S. Lewis would say, to be surprised by joy. I want them to find their full satisfaction in Christ. Because outside of him, they will not. But if Christians never understand the culture around them, if they never get what theologians call incarnational, which is what Jesus did, God becoming man, coming into our skin, if we never get incarnational with the culture around us, then man, we're going to miss the boat. We're never going to reach this culture that quite frankly needs Jesus so badly. So my encouragement, freeing up the next generation, is don't be shy to understand, to exegete the culture around you. And then right on the coattails of that, a fourth thing that I believe God would clearly say, in fact, I know he would say this to the next generation, is don't ever give up on the church. Man, don't ever give up on the church. And I thought long and hard this week about what visual I could use, you know, to represent the church. Kim's got a manger scene at home right now, and I thought, well, I get the manger scene, or, you know, I got little, you know, church building models and things like that. But I thought none of those would clearly illustrate it. Here's what I want to do to illustrate the church. I want everybody here and at Venue, Cactus, Mountain Valley, and Chapel, I want everybody here, even those of you watching online, because there's a few hundred of you every weekend, everybody stand right now. Stand right where you are, and as you are standing, I want you to look around. Come on, look around. Some of you aren't looking around. Look around right now. Ed, get out of that iPad. Look around, and as you see the people around you, here's the only image I want you to get. You are the church. You're the church, and give each other a round of applause right now. As the church, amen. You can have a seat. You see, it's really important that we understand this. Our culture, you got one up on culture. Culture doesn't understand this. If you say to somebody in the marketplace this week, I want you to come to church, what are they going to think of? They're going to think of a building. You're going to say, hey, we got a brand new building at Shea and Miller, and you're going to really like it. Well, golly, how shallow can we be? I mean, buildings are nice, 
But the reality is a building is not the church. It's a building. Uh, some people think the church is a bunch of programs. We call them ministries, you know, where you get together and have small groups and Awana and, and, and youth groups and, and service opportunities. Again, those are all good and fine. The church needs those. Hear me. At the end of the day, those are not church. Those are programs. Those are ministries. Most sadly, some people think the church is a bunch of, of policies and budgets, and especially the businessmen like to get involved in the church at that level. And again, we need you businessmen because you don't want the pastors running the asylum. I mean, you know, you want obviously business people involved in all this. But at the end of the day, I have to remind our business guys a lot, that ain't the church. The church at the end of the day involves only two things, Jesus and you. The first three centuries of the church in history had no buildings, very, very little money, no paid pastors, which doesn't bode well for me. They had no programs to really speak of. All they had was a bunch of high-octane believers hiding out in catacombs saying, how can we reach Greece and Rome? And without any resources that we have today, they went from about estimated 10,000 people at the end of the first century to millions by the time that Augustine came around a few centuries later. The church exploded on the scene because of people empowered by God's Holy Spirit. So again, I love how the Bible says it. Look at Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Look at Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. It says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Isn't that a cool analogy? Just as you got a body with, with hands and fingers and toes and feet and eyes and ears and noses and things like that, and you have a bunch of different body parts, but all one body, it says the church is like that. And we have all different kinds of people. That's been the point of this series, a very multi-generational type of church with lots of different temperaments and personalities and backgrounds and spiritual levels of maturity and things like that. But at the end of the day, we're all one church, and what makes us one is people who believe in Jesus Christ. And my encouragement to the next generation, please hear this, gang, is don't ever give up on that. A lot of people today, it's real vogue, try to say, well, I'm not into church. I don't like church. I went to church. And I, I get that. I mean, you know, church is filled with human people. I've joked for years that, you know, when, when you invite somebody to church and say, I don't want to go to that church. It's full of hypocrites. You know, the answer is, no, it's not full. we got room for one more. And so, you know, the reality is, is that the church is filled with hypocrites. I know most of us, and we're very imperfect. We're very flawed. We're very human. But you know what the Bible also says? Now, now next generation, hear this. These very flawed, very imperfect, very human people are also filled with the very perfect Holy Spirit. That's the mystery. That's the beauty of it. I'm going to do a series next year, and I've entitled the series already, A Beautiful Mess. It's out of John chapter 13. Because John chapter 13 is a, a beautiful mess as Jesus is heading into Holy Week. And the, the beautiful part of it is, is that God is in complete control. He is sovereign and on the throne. His Holy Spirit is active in the midst of all the messiness of the disciples. And that's true for you and me too. And next generation, don't ever give up on that. Don't ever give up on what God is doing. As Bill Hybel says, and I think he's correct, the local church indeed is the hope of the world. This is where God does his best work. So walk with God. Prioritize the family. 
exegete, understand the culture. Don't ever give up on church. Four things that I believe will allow you, next generation, to be a generation that stands tall and mightily is, and is used mightily by God in this world. And as a side benefit, I believe it will give you the best chance at joy and satisfaction in life. Our creative team had been giving a lot of thought over the last few weeks on how we wanted to end or wrap up this series. And I intervened. I don't use this, use, do this very often, but I intervened and said, here's how we're going to do it. I said, I want you to have a bunch of pictures and slides and videos of, of the multi-generational nature of our church, and I want to show it as we cap off this series. And I said, I'm even going to tell you what song I want you to sing. And so if any of you don't like the song that's played during this video, you can blame me. I solely chose it. The song is written by a Nobel Prize winner in literature by the name of Robert Zimmerman, otherwise known as Bob Dylan. And it was a song that came out of the 1960s. I, I think it's a good bridge song for all the generations we're looking at. What I like most about this song is the chorus. It says, I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. It's a great song. It's actually performed by the birds. I like the tune. I hope more than anything these images encourage you on what God is up to in this church and the future this church has as we continue to band together as one body. So watch this, and then I'll come back and close us in prayer and hand it off to the venues and congregations. Something to protect Good and bad I define these terms Quite clear, no doubt Somehow oh, but I was so much older then I'm younger than that now I'm going to hand it off to the venues and campuses to uh, close their service now. Uh, for here, uh, would you all bow with me and let's pray. Father God, um, I feel like this is a holy moment where we're culminating uh, a multi-week look at 
really the, the church and all of its different generational components. And God, as you know, my prayer all along is that we would have done honor and, 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 and given you great praise through all of this. God, I pray that as we think now about the future of our church, I pray, God, that you would protect this body of believers, Scottsdale Bible Church, and that, God, you would protect the beautiful, wonderful, uh, multi-generational flavor of Scottsdale Bible. I pray, God, that you would continue to bind Satan and may he not have sway when it comes to this idea called the generational gap, God, but that there would be no gap here, but that, Father, we would have unity through honoring and blessing as we've talked about. God, I pray, too, that as we look to the future of our church and when it comes to winning people to faith in Christ and building people up in their faith and then sending us all out into this wacko culture, God, to be winners and builders ourselves, God, I pray for the next generation. God, I pray for the millennials. I pray for uh, the Generation X and, Lord, all that, that, that we're about here. And I pray, God, that you would empower them, as we've talked about today, to walk with you and to prioritize your understanding of family, to, uh, God, understand and care about the world around them. And, Lord, more than anything, may they never give up uh, on the church, the body of Christ. But, Lord, may you use them in profound ways. And, Lord, those of us who are getting older, may we not be afraid to hand off the baton. May we not be afraid, God, to allow the next generations to uh, take leadership posts and, and heavy responsibility, do the heavy lifting, if you will, when it comes to the future of our church. And may we provide, Lord, continual support and encouragement till the day we breathe our last breath and appear face-to-face -face with you. God, thank you for our church. Thanks for the blessing that you've given us. We pray it would continue. We give great praise to you, and we pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. And we all say together... Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.